2 Timothy chapter 4. Well, the big game's over, and we can get back to life as it ought to be, as we expected. Uh, Oregon walloped Oregon State pretty heavily. So, but you state fans, don't worry. There's always next year. We'll hold our breath until they meet on the gridiron again, and uh, then we'll be over it for another year. So, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, let's begin with verse 6. 2 Timothy 4, 6. Paul writing there says, For I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Make every effort, he tells Timothy, <clears throat> to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You know, there's an old palace in Venice that, uh, where there is a row of portraits uh, one of each of the merchant kings that had ruled over Venice. One of those pictures, portraits, has been removed because uh, that king became a traitor. That picture was removed and there was a black cloth that hung over it representing the shame and the disgrace of that one of those kings. Now, something similar has happened with Demas. Demas was one of the uh, well-respected, admired leaders of the early church. As it were, he had his portrait among those uh, great early apostles of the past, leaders of the church. But now there, as it, as it were, uh, before him and over his picture, the black cloth of 2 Timothy 4.10. This man is now known as the one who has forsaken Paul and likely forsaken the gospel. Now folks, it's one thing, and it's bad enough to have your picture removed and a black cloth hung in its place for everybody to see. It's bad enough if your name goes down in history and people read history books of a person who has such a failure as Demas did. But folks, what's all the worse is for that to be recorded in the Holy Scriptures, in the very Word of God that is going to be read down through the ages by Christian people until the Lord returns. But that is what has happened to Demas here. Now before we look at the details of this very sad assertion here, Demas has forsaken me. He has loved the present world. Let's look at the context of the passage first because when Paul says Demas has forsaken me, he's talking about what's going on in the present. But before he talks about the present, he looks at the past and he looks at the future. Look at verse 7 where he uh, speaks of the majestic past that he has had. Looking back on his life, and by the way, 2 Timothy, this is the last letter that we have from Paul. 
And he knows, his, as he says, it's about time for him to go. Okay? And so he's reflecting on his life, and notice what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Isn't that comforting? Isn't it great to be able to come to the very end of life and to truthfully be able to make a statement like that? That I've come to the end of life and basically I have been faithful in running the race. Don't you want to be able to say that truthfully in your last breath? You know, the only way we can do it is to have that as a worthy goal every day that we live. You see, what Paul was able to say in his, close to his dying breath, that he's fought a good fight, is because he indeed had fought a good fight. <laughs> that every day he fought that good fight, and he fought it until he finished. What a great thing to be able to say at the end of life as he looked back. But then look in verse 8, he has a very another comforting statement because he looks forward. <laughs> he not only looks to the past and finds great grace, but he looks to the future and he says, Henceforth there's laid up for me this crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, is going to give me in that day. Folks, that's good news for Paul, but hey, he tacks on something there to let us know it's good for all of us believers, because he says, not only for myself, but all of those who have loved his appearing, and that's going to be the same ones who ran the race and finished and did well all the way to the end. So Paul looks to his past, a great heritage. He looks to a glorious future before he turns his attention to the situation that he is in presently. Because he is in prison and he is facing death. Now, we could look and say, well, you know, Paul would be real happy about that. Well, folks, he would be. But you also have to remember, he certainly was a great apostle, a great preacher, a great missionary and evangelist, but he was also a human being. <laughs> Folks, we as human beings, it never, doesn't matter how spiritual we become, there are still needs that we have or desires that we want to have met. And when it comes time to die, one of those is going to be, we want the people that we love to be near us. So many times we read obituaries and it says, you know, this man or this woman passed away Friday surrounded by his or her family and loved ones. Well, Paul would have loved that too, but it's not something he's going to be able to experience because one of the factors here that leads to his loneliness at this time, he states very clearly, and that is, Demas has forsaken me for the love of the present world. So let's begin by identifying this man, Demas. What do we know about him? Secondly, let's focus on what it is that he actually did. And then thirdly, why did he do what he did? And then finally, we need to look at some application and ask ourselves, how can we be sure that we don't follow in the footsteps of Demas? So who, who is this man? He was one of Paul's closest associates. He actually first mentions him in the book of Colossians. In the book of Colossians, Paul wrote that in his first Roman imprisonment when he was under house arrest, and that would have been about five years before he writes this passage that we have just looked at. 
So five years prior to Demas forsaking him, Paul refers to him as, uh, well, right along with the other disciples. There was Luke, Epaphras. He, he speaks in the same breath of those individuals uh, who were workers with him. When you get to the book of Philemon that is written at essentially the same time as Colossians, again, about five years before he writes this passage in 2 Timothy, where he says, Demas has forsaken me. There in Philemon, verse 24, he says, he is, Demas is one of my fellow workers. Uh, of all the people he could mention, here he mentions uh, uh, Demas. Folks, you can rest assured that Paul had poured a lot of himself into Demas. In fact, if you look at this same book, 2 Timothy, go back a couple of chapters to chapter 2, verse 2, what, what Paul tells Timothy to do, he, he says, and what you've heard of me, Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, he tells to Timothy, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach other people. That's what he's told Timothy. Well, you can, be, you can rest assured that's what Paul had done in his life. He had poured himself into Timothy. He entrusted the great truths of the faith to him, and he had done the same thing, obviously, with Demas, a fellow worker who he had taught probably how to counsel, how to evangelize, how to do the mission work that needed to be done. Paul had poured himself into him. Given him a lot of effort. Now, it doesn't appear, obviously, that, that Demas ever intended to do something like this when he first began to follow Christ. In fact, he would have said, wasn't that great what we heard all three of these baptismal candidates say in answer to the question, do you intend to follow Jesus the rest of your life? Well, Demas may have been asked that at his baptism. And his answer would have been said, absolutely for sure. I intend to be faithful all the way to the end. So there's no indication here that he was half-hearted about this, that he made simply some kind of, a, of an emotional response. As a matter of fact, he had probably gone through some kinds of hardships and sufferings right along with Paul and some of the other uh, disciples. In fact, if it hadn't been for this passage in, in 2 Timothy, he would have still been in that Christian hall of fame. There would have been people today naming their sons Demas, you know, just like they do Paul and Timothy and Daniel, but you never hear that. You don't hear that because of what we find out here in uh, 2 Timothy. We might even have a Sunday school class named after him. Are you a member of the Demas class? And that would have been a great, uh, a great thing to be able to say. Oh, yes. But folks, something happened here. And note the advantages that this man had had that makes it all the worse. Because he had, he had had the privilege of working with some of the greatest Christians in the history of the church. He had been able to work with, with Paul and Mark and Luke and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy. Well, wouldn't you like to go gone to a pastor's conference and that been the lineup of speakers that you got to hear? You know, well, this guy got to hear that quite often. Yeah, he, he got to, to hear these people preach. He got to see them evangelize. He got to see them work with individuals. Wouldn't it have been great to have been at a prayer meeting with those men and heard those men pray? Well, Demas was at prayer meetings with these men. He did hear them. There were great advantages that he had. But yet, notice what he did. The text says here 
that he deserted Paul. Now, folks, the, des- the word deserted here means more than he just left Paul. Because Paul goes on to talk about several of the other workers that had left him, but they had left him going out doing Christian mission work. They had left because Paul had, had sent them out, so they departed. But, but Demas did something much more than depart. Paul didn't say he departed from me. He said he deserted me. That's to leave someone in very dire straits at the time that they need you. <clears throat> How many times have you heard maybe a young man or woman give their testimony and talk about how their early life had been and say something like, you know, when I was three years old, my father deserted us. Folks, he didn't just leave, he abandoned them. In fact, this is the same word that Jesus uses when he's on the cross when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so Demas has abandoned Paul at a time of his great need. And it was a time of great need. Uh, He's just told Timothy in in the uh, the verse we read, come to me quickly. Why does he need him to come quickly? Well, he tells us in verse 6, because I'm being ready to be offered up as a drink offering. My time of departure has come. Paul was at the point where he was about to seal his life's testimony with his blood. (laughs) He was about to die. And he wanted, he wanted the people that he loved and he cared about there. And it was at this very time that Demas forsook him. And I'm sure that that devastated Paul. It hurt him badly. Folks, I imagine you're aware the only person that can actually hurt you deeply is the person you love. That's, that's the only people that can hurt you deeply. Is the people that you love. And they indeed can hurt you very deeply. And Paul's hurt does here run very deep. His very deepest and dearest hopes were were lost in this departure of this individual. And I can tell you through the years of, of both pastoral ministry and of a teaching profession, the ones that actually hurt the most were not the ones that you ran across that were not committed at all or If they were, it was very little commitment, and then they walked away. It's those who seem to have shown a true love for God and a true love for his word. The ones that really hurt are when those walk away. And that's that's essentially what happened to Paul here. And in forsaking Paul, he was apparently seeking the gospel. As we're going to say, he doesn't seem to be going to Thessalonica the way some of the other people Paul had mentioned here who had gone, they weren't going to preach the gospel. He departs to Thessalonica. And let me assure you, anytime a person has a heart to leave the gospel and to leave Christ, there is always going to be a Thessalonica that the devil has prepared for you. There's always going to be a place that you can go. There's also always going to be maybe a person that you can go with that will lead you there and accompany you to wherever it is. If you want to leave the faith, if you want to leave the Christian teachings, Satan is there to make it as easy for you as it is absolutely possible. He had a very convenient place to go, and he went. He departed to Thessalonica. Now, why did he do this? 
Well, the text doesn't tell us a lot. It does say it was out of love for the present world. So the one person I read that suggested, and I, I'm appreciative of people like this because they want to go easy on people as much as they can. You know, give them the benefit of the doubt as much as possible. One writer said, well, he might have gone there. You know, there was a strong, vibrant church there at Thessalonica. Well, folks, I don't think he was going to Thessalonica to go to a nice, vibrant church that was there. I, I think there's a couple of, of uh, problems one, uh, with that. One is just says he actually went because he loved the present world. He was in love with things that he should not have been in love with. But there's another reason is, folks, when, when, when people fall in love with the present world, they don't go around looking for a good church to attend. In fact, they do exactly the opposite of that. When they begin to fall in love with the world, they don't want to be in a good church because they're going to be rubbing elbows with people who are deeply committed to the faith, okay? and that is difficult for them. They're going to be looking in the faces of these de devoted churches and church members of people who have paid a great price to follow the Lord, who are denying themselves daily and taking up the cross of Christ every day. And they're not going to want to be people like that if they are actually uh, falling in love with the world as Demas has essentially done here. Now, folks, sadly enough, that doesn't mean that if you're turning away from the truths of the faith that you can't find a church that will accommodate you. They are some out there, particularly in our modern days. Okay? There wouldn't have been any really of them back then because back then, if you associated and called yourself a church, you were liable to be put to death. So all those people tended to mean business. But that's not what we have today. If you want to depart from some of the great teachings of the faith, Folks, there are churches whose doors are wide open to you and they will accommodate the modernism that we see in our culture and you could feel right at home in some of those places that call themselves churches but have no right to because they have deserted the word of God and have exchanged it for the word of man. Those churches are out there, but there wasn't any of them in his day. He wasn't leaving Paul to go to a vibrant, thriving church somewhere. It says that he loved the present world. Now, folks, that, call, that ought to get our attention. Is there something wrong with loving the world? I mean, John 3.16, what does that tell us? God so loved the world. Are we not supposed to love, uh, are we not supposed to love the world? Yeah, while John 3.16 says God so loved the world, 1 John, John 2.15 says don't love the world, neither the things that are in it. Are we supposed to love the world or are we not? Folks, that's why we have to be very careful to look at words just like in, in biblical language, the same thing's true in our language. You have to look at the context and determine what they mean. You know, if, if you and I are out at night and, and we see these mammals flying around, and I say, oh, yeah, those are, I, I bought my son a bat for Christmas. You say, you bought your son a bat? Yeah, a baseball bat. Well, you say, okay, I thought you meant these bats that were flying around. And that, well, you have to understand the context of the word because bat can mean a couple of things. And a trunk, I'll leave that for you to figure out, it can mean about five or six different things, okay? Which one are you talking about? Well, you have to look at the context, 
And there are words here that are saying here, the, the, the words that are, this, this word that is uh, often con, uh, uh, um, uh, translated, world, in some of your translations, it might have read that he loved the present age. Both of those translations are very acceptable here. In, 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 I mentioned in, in John 3.16, when it says God loves the, loves the world, what does that mean? World there means the people that are in, in uh, the world. Uh, we're supposed to love the people that are in the world. In fact, it was the second of those great commandments that Jesus gave. Love one another as you do yourself. God loves the people of the world. We're supposed to love the people of the world. You know, our problem is we may not love the people of the world enough. God calls us to love people. They are image bearers of God. We are to love other people, and it may be that one of the reasons the world's in as bad a shape as it is is we haven't loved the world, the people, as much as we should love the people. <clears throat> I heard a preacher telling one time of a, a funeral that was done for a, a, a relatively small child, and, and the mother said to him after the funeral, he said, I'll, she said, I'll tell you what the problem was. I just loved him too much. I just loved him too much, and God took him. He gave some great counsel to that lady. He said, ma'am, you did not love your son too much. You can't love your son too much. Now, you may not have loved God enough, okay? And that's true of all of us. But he said, I'll assure you, you did not love your son too much. Folks, we can't love people too much. God loved them so much that he gave his own son for them, and that includes us. But folks, there are other passages where this same word, if you look at Acts 17, 24, the word world there means the physical universe. Okay? Uh, he says there, God who made the world and everything in it, what's he talking about? Folks, he's talking about what you see in here and what you see outside. <clears throat> and, and it's okay. We are, we are to love what God created. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with loving to see the, the flowers <clears throat> and, and to see a sunset or a sunrise, you know? Now, we'd argue over whether we ought to love seeing the snowfall. Uh, <clears throat> I won't go there, but the things you love seeing that God actually created, it is good. You're supposed to love the world in that way, okay? He's not telling us to but when the Bible uses the word this way, and he tells us not to love the world, or that Demas' problem is that he loved the present world, the word world is being used very differently there. The word world is being used similar to how we say, these people are very worldly. Okay? They're, they're living in opposition to God. The word means uh, the, the sinful world order as it stands uh, uh, against God. It, it's, it, you can almost say it's, it's almost everything that's contrary to God, everything that's contrary to the kingdom of God coming. Okay? That's the world system. The world system of which Galatians 1.4 says Jesus gave himself for us for our sins to deliver us from the present, and there's that word again, that present age. Okay? <clears throat> Paul tells us how we're to respond to that in, in Romans 12 too. You're familiar with that passage. Don't be conformed to this world. What does he mean? This world system as it is in opposition 
to God and everything that is good and righteous and holy. Don't love those things. Do not be conformed to those things. And sadly enough, it seems that's precisely what Demas did. He loved the world in this way that we are told specifically we are not to love. In fact, Paul seems to be contrasting those who love Jesus' appearing with those who love the present world. Those who love the present world as he has spoken of as this world system do not love Jesus and his appearing. And those who love Jesus and his appearing do not love the, the world system in opposition to God. Now, folks, we do have a role to play in that world system. One thing is we have to live in it, okay? But in living in it, we are to make a difference in it. We are to leave a mark on it. It is not to leave a mark on us. That's why Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You know what that's telling us about the world? It's telling us it is in darkness. It needs our presence. And we're to be out there making a difference in the sinful world. But we're not supposed to be falling in love with it. In fact, if we will love the world the way we're supposed to, then we won't love it the way Demas loved it, the way we're not supposed to. We will be seeking to be different and distinct from the world in order to bring light to the world that it needs so much. So at that time, the time of this, any kind of persecution was all over spread about the Christian church. You've read the life of Paul. How many times was Paul persecuted? The church was beginning to be persecuted. But Demas has resolved to love the present world. I love the things of the world more than I love the Lord. I love things of the present world more than I love the people of God, more than I love the work of God. I love the things of the world above the things of God. So we don't know when, when Demas forsook the world, we don't know if that was permanent. Folks, you know, God's a forgiving God. Sometimes people wake up spiritually, you know. Uh, I guess my hope is that he, he changed. He, he turned around, that he saw the error of his ways. We don't know that. But I'll tell you, there are people today that are doing the same thing. There are people who have been supposedly devoted followers of Christ that have identified outwardly with his people for a while, and they have gone their own way. They've left their first love and gone. So I, but I do know that happens today. So how do we keep from becoming a Demas? How are we supposed to do this? <clears throat> well, uh, folks, first of all, we need to make sure that we admit and fully understand that it's a possibility. You say, well, I don't, think, I don't think I would ever do that. Well, Demas at one time thought he would have never done that as, as well. That's why the Bible warns us over and over, let a person take heed lest he fall. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. A person who proudly, like the apostle Peter, when he was told, I'm going to deny uh, uh, Jesus. No, I'm not going to. These other disciples, they might, but I'm not going to. He was convinced he was never going to. Folks, the Bible warns us the heart is deceitful above all things. We have to be careful here. Why did he tell us in 1 John, love not the world? Why did he bother telling Christians that? Because there's a tendency in us to love the world. That's why. 
It, it is a real danger. That's why the warning is actually given to us. And so the first thing we have to do is make sure that we understand that can, that can happen. Folks, there's not a person in this auditorium today who, who, who would have been less likely than Demas to go the way of the world. There's, you know, he would have been the last person that we would have thought. I, it, it, it surprised, I'm sure, not only Paul, but those who were the nearest to him. So how do we do this? It's fastening our eyes upon Christ and leaving it there. It, it also means we're to beware of even the very beginnings of something that would lead us astray. What we may refer to as a little sin. And it finds its place into our hearts. And before long, it becomes something very powerful. Engineers were called out one day to find out why a, a rock that had been sitting up on the side of a mountain looked like now it was beginning to roll off onto, the, onto a highway. They couldn't understand why a rock that large, why it would have begun to move. And when they got up and began to discover, it seems a little old tiny acorn had fallen into the crevice of the rock. And that the circumstances were exactly right for that to, to germinate and began to grow and to begin a grow a tree with roots that began to move that big huge rock and turn it up on its side. Folks, who would have ever thought that a little acorn could have done that? Well, when the when the conditions are right, it can happen. And I'll tell you, there's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and he is seeking to make circumstances exactly right for something like that to happen in your life and in mine. We have to be very careful at the very first sign that there's something creeping into our lives that the devil could use to end up, for us, ending up precisely as he did. Folks, the only way to avoid falling in love with the wrong thing is to fall in love with the right thing. <clears throat> It, 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 it is to fill our hearts and to fill our minds with the things of God. It has to be that uh, our, our minds are going to have something in it. Our affections are going to be somewhere. And, and that's why the scripture tells us over and over, set your affections on things that are above. Again, because if we love the right things, we won't love the wrong things. Make sure that we love Christ with all of our hearts. That we realize when we look at the world around us, folks, we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. A lot of times people go the way of the world because they will, I, I just, you know, I, I just don't feel much at home here. You're not supposed to feel all that at home here. We're strangers and pilgrims here. Okay? We're here to make a difference. We are here to be different. And when we become like the world, we lose that light that we have. We lose the ability of that salt to savor the world that we are in because we have become like the world. And so we are to have hearts and minds that are filled with things of the truth. Now, folks, I don't know why. He doesn't tell us everything, uh, whether he denied the faith or whatever else. But I hope I don't have to point out to you. I'm sad to point it out, but I hope I don't have to. The folks, there are various reasons much more in our last five, six, seven, eight years of people doing exactly what Demas has done here 
more than we have ever seen in the past. And, and I'll tell you, there's a telltale sign that, that a person is in the direction, is beginning to walk in the direction of ultimately denying the faith. And, and that is when that person begins to soft pedal the, the, the biblical truths that run contrary to the philosophy of this age. When they look at the truths of the gospel and they see those as in conflict with the world. And that we are actually to live counterculturally. And so they begin to play down those truths okay, that, that are not palatable to the world. Folks, when that starts to happen, you're beginning to take the first steps that, Dem that Demas actually took. It begins by asking in the heart that age-old question again and again. That question from the Garden of Eden, has God really said? Folks, you see that first temptation in the garden? Uh, Eve, Eve wasn't tempted to lie. She wasn't tempted to kill somebody. She, she was tempted to deny what God had actually said and to question whether or not it was true. And then look at the devastation that resulted from that. Questioning, did God really say? You know, has God really said that marriage is between a man and a woman? Did he really say that? Hmm. I wonder. Did, 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 he, did he really say that the only acceptable sexual activity was between a man and a woman in a marriage covenant. Did he really say that? Folks, as I mentioned earlier, there are many churches, too many, where we have the truth over here, and then we have the lie over here, and they want to play the middle ground. They, they want to show you, yeah, you can still broadly be Christian, and, and really, maybe we need to rethink some of the truths of the faith. Was the church right on some of these issues? Did God really say that? Folks, there are organizations, again, that call themselves churches, that question the absolute truths and standards that God gave to us. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but my did he? Did he really say that? Did God really mean that? Folks, when we begin to soft pedal the truths of the Word of God that are not palatable to the world that is out there, we are beginning to take steps of doing precisely what Demas did, and that is forsake the truth. So what do we need to do? Folks, we need to do precisely what I've said, and we need to pray and more than ever, we need to pray for our children. Folks, you need to pray for your grandchildren. You need to teach them these very truths that we are talking about. The importance for them to understand, to be able to say what Paul says, faithful unto death. Whatever happens, the truth is the greatest thing that we are to live for. You know, it's interesting, in, in, there's one sense in which in the Bible, it only knows of two days. There's this day, and there's that day. There's this day, and there's that day. 
we're supposed to live in light of that day. We're supposed to live in light of eternity, not for this day. If we're living for just this day, we're going to go with Demas to Thessalonica. But if we're living for that day, we're going to stay with Paul. And one day, we're going to exchange that old rugged cross for a crown. But it's only if we're faithful. And that's what God calls us to be. Stand with me if you would. Father, we thank you for these stories that you give us in your word. Lord, many of these are, are people who are lights for us to follow. We think of people like Paul. Uh, Lord, we think certainly more than ever of, of Christ himself. Lord, we thank you that you also give us people here who are beacons of warning that are saying, don't, don't go in this direction. Don't follow this. And Lord, we thank you that you've loved us enough to record these words even about Demas here. Lord, help us to not be people filled with pride, to think we never could do these things. Lord, show us who we really are so that we would entrust ourselves completely to you. That, Lord, we would find out for truth that if we're going to persevere, it's because you preserve. And so, Lord, we ask you day by day and sometimes moment by moment, Lord, grant us the grace to stand firm in the truth. Lord, help all of us here today to live this day and every day in light of that day. Lord, help us to live this day in light of that day in which you are going to give us that crown of righteousness and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, help us to be faithful to the glory of God who loved us and gave himself for us through Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Edwards Road Baptist Church. We hope you are meaningfully involved in a local church, but if you aren't, we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings as we worship God and hear from His Word together. You can find more information about our church by visiting our website at edwardsroad.org.